Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Well, for the last few weeks, um, we've been observing Advent, and that is the process of preparing our hearts for Christmas, because I think sometimes Christmas slams into us, and the world has a script for us to follow regarding Christmas, and I think sometimes it's easy to lose sight of Jesus himself and why we celebrate in the first place. And that's the irony of it, is in the midst of all this festivity, um, it's easy to lose sight of the one we're celebrating. This morning, I want to share a message from the second chapter of Luke, and it's from the scene where some angels come to visit lowly shepherds in the field. And the title of the message is Joy to the World. And the text comes to us from Luke 2, verses 8 to 12. Let me read those with you. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and laying, lying in a manger. You know, I think getting older has made me more philosophical, maybe more reflective. If you know me well, you might not think that I am because I'm still kind of a dork. But um, compared to what I was like when I was younger, I am a philosopher on the mountaintop these days. I've just been doing a lot of thinking. And one of the things that I'm philosophical about is, at this point, statistically anyway, I've finished about two-thirds of my earthly life. That's sobering. Every time I think of that, that's kind of sobering, that I'm more done than I'm starting. You know, like, I'm pretty much starting to find a place to land. You know what I mean? And the shortness of our time on this earth has really struck me more and more. There's a kind of bittersweet quality to some of the things I used to look forward to. I mean, every year, and this hasn't really changed, I've always looked forward to Christmas time. I've always looked forward to birthdays and special occasions, the first winter snow. I love the changing of leaves. I love when finally we've had just enough of the cold. And that's one thing I love about Chicago is God allows winter to last just long enough and then when we can't take any more, spring comes. If you don't agree with me, you've got to move sooner or later. But I, I just love the exact length of winter here. And so I look forward to these changes and these new arrivals, and they recur year after year. But as I've gotten older, um, there's a bittersweet quality to these things because each time I observe them, even though I'm enjoying it, it also marks the passing of another year. And one step closer to the end of this part of my story. 
And I'm not sharing that to depress you, but to say this. As I reflect on that truth, I don't understand how anyone can bear to face these existential truths. These truths that are irresistible, unchanging, that everyone will die one day, that life here is short, very short. And as I've gotten older, the other thing I've come to realize is that I'm not getting more optimistic about myself and human nature, but I'm becoming more sober about just how broken and how fallen I really am. And that's why I believe that the good news of Jesus Christ has become more precious to me as I've gotten older. And I can't imagine what it's like to face your own mortality, the shortness of this earthly life, the darkness and brokenness that exists in our human hearts. And I don't know how we face that without the hope and the peace and the joy that Jesus Christ offers to us. So Pastor Frank spoke to us about peace, and before that, Pastor Jared spoke to us about the hope that the gospel of Jesus Christ brings. This morning, I want us to consider together from this text that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is intended to produce in us great joy. That's what good news does. When you look at verse 8 and verse 9, you notice that on the very first Christmas, the angels appeared into the midst of a very ordinary scene. And I love what Bobby shared this morning during the praise time, that sometimes grace pops into our lives in unexpected places and in unexpected ways. Uh, I love the line from that song, it's there in the everyday and the mundane. And I love that about our God, that he pops into moments that you think are just ordinary and, and the same as the last minute, the same as the next minute, but then God invades. And that happened to me this past week. I, I didn't raise my hand when Bob asked, but I was nodding. I don't know if any of you can see, but we were filling up gas at this new gas station near my house. And as I was just wrapping up, this young man walked over to me, and it's telling that these days in our culture, when someone, stranger, walks up to you, your first thought is, whoa, 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 what's up, dude? You know, like, I was getting a defensive posture, like, why is this guy walking towards me? And then he says to me, hey, can I just give you something to read? And he hands me a card, and I go, what's this? He goes, oh, it's just an invitation to our church. And he was from a, a Baptist church down the street. I've driven past that church a number of times. I know it. And uh, I was just so encouraged because lately my thoughts have been really revolving around this idea of giving away, of sharing our faith in Jesus Christ to others. And this young guy took a risk and walked up to a stranger. And I said to him, hey, thank you so much. I'm not really that free to visit other churches because I'm a pastor. And he was like, oh, you're a pastor. Where? And we had this great little conversation out of the blue. And I saw the faith and the commitment of a young man to share Christ with others. And as far as he knew, I was walking far away from God, and he wanted me to walk closer. And so he was taking a step of faith. And it almost made me want to accept Christ again. I mean, it was just uh, that encouraging. And in that young man's faith, it was like the grace of God invaded a very ordinary moment. And when's the last time you expected to encounter God at a gas station? It's just the way God is. And on the night that Jesus was born, this angel, the first of a large host of angels, appeared to a group of shepherds. 
And they were out in the fields where shepherds basically live, watching over their flocks. And they were keeping the night watch. And it was a very ordinary scene, a very mundane scene. In fact, shepherds were as ordinary as people got in the days of Jesus. They're simple. They're rough. They're uncomplicated people. They didn't have riches or power. They had very little upward mobility. They were men who had learned to accept that this is their station in life. They didn't spend their nights fantasizing about one day becoming kings and mayors and governors and millionaires. They knew this was life. And so they welcomed life's little pleasures. They endured life's many hardships. They didn't think too deeply. They didn't expect too much. This was life such as it was. It's what they knew. And they were content with it because there was really nothing else they could imagine. A shepherd's life was the only life they knew, and they made their peace with it. And you've got to understand that, that these shepherds are so representative of so many people's lives that have walked on the earth. They weren't really looking for God. They were walking through life. In fact, these guys lived in a world steeped in religion. They were surrounded by religion everywhere. They were on the outskirts of Bethlehem. But every place you went where Jews lived, religion permeated the air. And yet, they lived as outsiders to that world. Many of them, because their shepherding duties required them to be out on the Sabbath, they were declared ceremonially unclean. They were, they were away from worship at times when everyone else was worshiping. So they watched religion everywhere, but they never really felt like participants in that world. And I think that's the way so many people in the United States experience life. There's a sense that there's a whole group of people who are religious, but so many others, though they're familiar with the language and the, the traditions and the practices feel very much like they're on the outside looking in, very separate from that entire world. And this angel invaded a scene like that. And I think that's what I really love and appreciate about Jesus Christ. The way he entered the world is the way he enters so many of our lives. I know for a fact that the day I met Jesus, I wasn't looking to meet Jesus. I was looking to meet girls. Some of you can relate. Some of you are still in that mode. You're still looking to meet girls or boys. And, you know, that's all I was thinking about. I wasn't thinking, man, who's my savior? Who made me? None of those questions mattered. When I was younger, I ignored and pushed away these haunting questions about the shortness of life, the serious issues of my own brokenness and sin. I knew there were problems with me. and I, I sure as heck knew there were problems with everyone else in my life. But I couldn't really process those things. I didn't want to think about them. So when I was young, some of you knew me when I was that age, I just blasted the music and I drove real fast and I was running hard from these haunting questions. I didn't want to face them because I had nothing to face them with. And so I just blasted the tunes and ran really hard away from these realities. And then one day, just out of the blue... Jesus invaded my life. I wasn't looking for him, but he found me. And I think that's one of the, the early signs that the gospel is about joy. 
is that when we weren't thinking about a Savior, a Savior was thinking about us. When we were obsessed with other things, God was obsessing over us. And when we didn't have the good sense to look for him or to even think about these things, God was making plans to invade our life and our story. If you read a little further, though, um, as the angel appears, the shepherds aren't all that enthused. I don't know if we can get that next slide on there. There we go. Uh, Verses 10 through 11. You know, sometimes when, maybe you've experienced this, if you uh, have a boss and that boss walks into where you're working, uh, there's a certain feeling among the coworkers, like, oh, dude, the boss is here. And that's not always a welcome thing. If you're a group of teenagers hanging out in the basement and one of the parents pops in to see what's going on, that's not always a welcome thing. It's not like you're doing anything bad. but just like, like there's a whole difference in the atmosphere when the boss or the authority comes in and sees what you're, you're doing, what's going on. And I, I think that's the experience that the, the shepherds felt. They were minding their own business. And first of all, if an angel appears, every time in Scripture that an angel encounters people, the people wet themselves. Okay, just seeing if you're awake. I mean, that's kind of graphic language, but nobody sees an angel like, oh, there's an angel. Because the angels in Scripture didn't look like giant babies with diapers and wings and a little bow and arrow. They didn't look like Cupid. Angels were transcendent, magnificent beings, so otherworldly that if you saw them, you would freak completely. There would be no vocabulary, no past experience for you to reconcile what you're seeing and experiencing with anything else you've ever seen or experienced. And so just encountering an angel is frightening enough. But I think the reason that they were filled with terror in the presence of this angel is because the angels reflected the purity, the holiness of God. And I think for the most part, most of us run very hard away from the reality that there's something fundamentally wrong with us. That try as we might, it's hard to love what is good and righteous. That in the secret places, behind closed doors, we have all done things that cause great shame. Even if you don't have religious or theological language to describe it, I think everyone knows that the secret about ourselves is not something we'd be comfortable broadcasting to the world. And that's the dirty secret we carry around with us. Is I'm broken And I'm pretty sure everyone else is at least as broken as me. And then a holy God crosses paths with your life, and it's impossible to any longer maintain the illusion that I'm okay and that I'm good by myself. I think that's what I spent most of my earlier life doing, is ignoring the reality that I'm not okay And I'm not clean. And I created an illusion that that's okay because I know other people who are less okay and less clean than me. And so compared to the other roaches, I'm an okay roach. (laughs) That's what I told myself growing up. But then I met God and I saw the truth about myself. And it was overwhelming. It was impossible to keep that illusion going. Now, in that fragile state, 
the angel says something really important to these shepherds. He says, guys, I know you're terrified, but don't be afraid. Don't presume that I have come carrying the condemnation and anger of God over your secret. Because instead, I've come bearing good news, and this good news is going to cause in you great joy. If that's not what you're experiencing in your relationship with Christ, then the good news is there's more to it than you know. You may be frustrated hearing this this morning because it's not what you're feeling. And maybe today in particular, some of you look this way. I'm just telling you right now. You look like you rolled into church not having a great morning. That there's very little joy in your day so far. And maybe that's hard for you to swallow is that somehow attached to the experience of being a Christ follower is supposed to be this experience of great joy. But if that's not what you're experiencing, the good news is that that's what God intends for you to experience. It's what you're supposed to have. And if you see him, it is exactly what you will have. That you should never settle for anything less than this great joy because it is at the heart of what it means to be Christian. See, good news is always welcome. Everyone likes good news. But there's an interesting thing about good news. If you think you're already pretty good, good news is sort of like, Meh. You know, most of us are fairly healthy, so if the doctor says, hey, you're doing pretty good, you're like, hey, thanks, all right, see you later. Not that big a deal. But if you've been wrestling with a serious illness, and the doctor says, guess what? You're clean. Clean bill of health. Everything's good. You are all systems go. Suddenly, in the darkness of that disease, this good news is more than just good news. It's great news. Most of us are doing okay. Not as okay as we wish, but we're doing okay financially. And so for us, the idea that at the end of each month, you've signed the last check, you've hit the last submit button, and you've paid all your bills, you're reconciled, that's an okay feeling, right? It's it's sort of a normal Monday. In fact, maybe you complain about it. Oh, these bills. But it's an amazing thing to be able to pay your bills every month. And if you've ever gone through a season where money is really tight and it's hard to scrape two pennies together and you're not sure how you're going to make the next payment, well, the good news that you've paid all your bills that month is not just, eh, it is great news. And that's the interesting thing about good news. That unless you juxtapose that good news against the harsh reality of the bad news, good news is not all that exciting. It just confirms your suspicions that my life is pretty okay. But when you think about the bad news, good news brings great joy. I've wondered about this, why joy is so hard to find in the church. I mean, every Sunday, our, our church at least has a little joyful, right? But why is joy so hard to find? It's rare that I ask a Christian, how are you doing? And the answer is, I am joyful. 99% of the time when I hear is, yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> and I was feeling okay till I asked. Now I'm feeling worse. I'm like, oh, man, that numbness is infectious, dude. Why is joy so hard to find in the church? And I think in part, it might be this American obsession with the pursuit of happiness. I sometimes worry that we are so hot in the pursuit of heaven on earth. 
trying so hard to create a world for ourselves here that feels like a slice of heaven. Now, I'm not saying don't enjoy yourself. Go to King Spa. You know, I mean, touch those warm floors. Go, this is nice, you know. That's okay. It's good to have nice things. But I wonder sometimes if we're so obsessed with the small things that make us happy that we're losing our appetite for the great things that produce deep joy. It's as if we're nibbling on candy and chips and the feast set before us is frustrating because I know I should probably want this more, but I'm not sure why I can't desire it. I think it's important at this time of year not to obsess only over joy itself, but to deeply reflect on these things that haunt us that we run from all year. That life is short. And that one day, whether the gospel is true or not is going to matter supremely because you're going to sit at the threshold of that great passage. And while in theory you may say, yes, I believe I'm going to heaven. The day before you die, suddenly that's going to get very real for you, isn't it? Do I really believe this stuff? Because I believed it all my life, but here I stand at the precipice. And once I plunge over, I'm going to know what was real and what was not. I think it's important at this time of year to reflect on the brevity of life. On the fact that I'm not the person I wish I was, and I'm surrounded by people who are broken as well. But as we reflect on that idea that God entered that broken world, that finite mortal life, and he extended hope and peace, salvation, that is good news. And even if there's no other good news, even if that doesn't come with a writer that says, oh yeah, by the way, you're going to be fertile as Kansas soil, you'll pop out babies left and right, you'll make money hand over fist, you'll live 89 years Even if it didn't come with any other promise, that alone is amazing news. Then in the midst of this bleak reality we all have to live in, God extended his hand of hope and peace and joy to us. And that there is actually a way out. I wonder if we reflect enough on those truths which we are so busy drowning out with the loud music and the wind in our hair. I'm really glad for the festive atmosphere that marks Christmas time. In fact, I love Christmas music. Even secular Christmas music somehow makes me happy. How do you explain that? I just, you know, it just, uh, this time of year, seeing the lights, all of it, it just, it's like a little bit of Vegas, you know, in the middle of winter. But I also know this. I think the real Joy comes in understanding what relief is made ours through the gospel. In fact, I think joy and relief are very close cousins. I think the greatest joy we feel is when a burden is lifted, when doom is avoided. When you're great and you get a little more great news, it's all right. But man, when you're doomed and you get delivered, that relief feels like nothing else. 
When you have completely blown a job interview and you sounded like a complete doofus, and then you get the call and you got the job. It's an amazing feeling when you expected the worst and you got the best. And that's not an everyday occurrence for us. Most of the time, you pretty much get what you deserve or expect in this world. Isn't that true? Very few people fail to study in college and then all of a sudden become gazillionaires by some stroke of luck. Very few people mistreat their children and end up being loved deeply by those kids in their old age. We pretty much get what we expect and deserve in this world. But at the foot of the cross, in the presence of Jesus Christ, we get something amazing. Something infinitely more than what we could have hoped for or demanded. I think the reason that Christmas brings joy is because life brings doom. And Jesus invades that. That's what the angels announced that day. That's what they celebrate. And that's why what they say is, here's the good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in that town just over the ridge, a Savior has been born to you. You were doomed and salvation has come. You were to expect condemnation and wrath and now you will be saved. And that's something amazing. And I think that's why before we can jump to the lights and the presence and the trees and the joy, I think it's right for us to sober-mindedly quiet our hearts and reflect on what it is we are being saved from. Let's not drown that sober truth with music and food. But let's dwell there for a little bit and consider that this would be our life without the Savior. And that because he was born, and because he invaded our lives, there's hope. Let me just tell you, there is no other thing we extend as an offer from the church. This is our greatest Offering to one another is the reminder that in this place, while, uh, while we may offer friendship, and it's going to be spotty, sometimes these people will disappoint you and tick you off, and you will want to throw them away. What we really offer each other in the church is not our embrace, but the reminder of this great hope, which is ours in Jesus Christ. Let me just wrap this up by giving you one final word from, from verse 12. The angel says, this will be the sign for you that salvation has come. And it was not the sign they would have expected. But the sign he gives them is that you're going to go to a barn in Bethlehem, just behind an inn, and you're going to find a baby, and that baby is going to be your salvation. And that's startling to me. That salvation was not the flip of a switch. It wasn't some legal maneuver which God made where he said, well, there's a loophole. If you just say these words, believe these things, everything will be good. God did not save humanity with a simple declaration. But he saved humanity through his son, Jesus Christ, through a person. And there's a signal, a message for us in that. 
That we were never meant to get saved and move on. It was never supposed to be a gateway event, some transaction which once done is secure in your pocket and now just go live your life. I think that's the way many of us were taught it. That's the way it was offered to us was get saved and then move on with your life. But the idea that the sign of our salvation is a baby lying in a manger is God's invitation to us that salvation doesn't come from just saying some words or believing something, but it's in knowing someone. Salvation for the Christian is always a person. He is Jesus Christ. And that's why I really believe that the great joy of the gospel is not found in saying, I believe this happened and when I die I'll be in heaven. That's just too distant and theoretical for me. The great joy of our salvation is in knowing and following and walking with Jesus Christ. You will notice this about the people you know personally who seem to have an enduring joy and passion in their faith. Is that they're not the people who know the most stuff about God, but they're the ones intent on knowing him and experiencing him and walking with him. The people who are most joyful in Christ are the ones who are seeking him, fellowshipping with him, knowing him every day. That's the invitation to you. If you want to know the joy of Christmas, I can't convince you of it in a propositional sermon. I can't tell you a magic idea that once you see it on the PowerPoint, you're like, what was I thinking? I'm so full of joy because joy is a savior. He is someone we're invited to know. And I will give you this invitation as I close. That if you want to experience the joy that marks the Christian life, there's really only one way. And that is to rekindle this relationship you have with your savior. What I'm really trying to say is, I think it's important this Christmas that we put our foot on the ground and just say, you know what, I don't want to just be a Christian anymore. I want to be with Christ. I can't be a Christian the way I'm a male or a U.S. citizen or a Korean American or whatever else you want to call yourself. Because to be a Christian is to know Christ. And that's where the joy is found. And I just want you to think about anyone in your life that you regularly associate with a joy-filled spirit. Somebody who never seems to to see that switch turned off. They're always good with Christ. They love him. They're happy in their faith. Think about that person you know. And I will bet you a gazillion dollars that that's a person who actively seeks and fellowships with and walks with Jesus moment by moment and day by day. Because it's in him they have found joy to face this life. And that's my invitation to each of you. It's what I've been reflecting on myself. And I think the church really ought to be the most giddy place in our society. It should be the goofiest, silliest, smiliest place on earth. And I just want you to look around at your neighbor. Just share a smile. You might sprain your cheek, some of you, but try it. Just turn over and say, you know, this is the place where if we understood what we're being offered every day in Christ, we would be filled with a joy inexpressible. And if that doesn't sound like the experience you've had, I'm going to ask you now to bow with me and just pray a simple prayer. 
that God would ruin you for this passive and numb thing called being a Christian. That he would never allow you to be content with that. But that you would hunger for this joy and not rest until you experience it. And just ask the Lord for it. Say, God, I don't want to just mope through life. It seems like there's supposed to be this other thing, this joy that your followers experience, and it's what we want. Would you give that to me this Christmas? Would you help me to experience this irrepressible, bubbling over joy because I know who you are and I understand what you've saved me from? Why don't we just pray that together just for a moment, that the joy of our salvation will become more and more real to each of us. And it would have the power to lift us out of the small things that weigh us down. Why don't we pray that together right now? Let's just take a moment. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.